Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. When this campus minister noticed a change, he led the charge to transition from ministry to a band of missionaries. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 169 with Mike Puckett. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks to Scott McClelland of Foundational Missions. He was our engaging announcer for this week. At the time that I'm recording this, he's heading to Nicaragua for a Young Leaders Intensive, and I would ask you to pray for him and his ministry. You can find out more about him and FX Missions or subscribe to his podcast by visiting fxmissions.com. And if you'd like to be one of our engaging announcers, subscribe to our email newsletter at engagingmissions.com slash subscribe, and then just reply to one of those emails to let me know. Also, whether you've been subscribed to the show for for a long time, maybe since the beginning, or are stopping by for the very first time, welcome. We want to see the body of Christ fully connected and engaged in what God is doing. I'll be introducing our guest in a minute or two, but first, I would like to ask you to remember to pray for your missionaries over the holidays. This can be a lonely time, and they might need to hear from you, and they might need some encouragement from God, so just remember to pray for them. I'd also like to welcome Kendall and Tony, who recently liked our Facebook page. And just a little bit of news that I did share on Facebook. At the time that I'm recording this, we had just passed 37,000 downloads. Uh, But actually, by the time you hear this, that's going to be old news. So if you want to stay connected and up to date, make sure that you connect on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash engaging missions so that you can stay current with what's going on. Also, one reminder... Uh, I would like to ask you to pray about if and how much God would like for you to be involved in our fundraiser next year. I will have more info coming in a couple of weeks, and I'm definitely not going to ask you to commit to giving before you know anything, but I do want for you to hear from God before you hear from me, so I'd just like to ask you to pray about that. As far as this week's episode, you'll find the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Mike Puckett. That's one of the great ways that you can connect with our guest and also find links to valuable resources. All right, let's get started. Today, I am so happy to have Mike Puckett, or Puck as he likes to be called, with me. He's the executive director, the lead missionary of the Baptist Campus Ministry of the High Country, centered in Boone, North Carolina. And just recently, they've started transitioning to looking at what they do more as a band of missionaries instead of a traditional ministry. Their vision is to see no place left take form on their campus, and they're also looking to do the same on as many as possible of the 13 surrounding campuses. Mike, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is truly my pleasure. And, you know, as I mentioned before we started, when we were talking, you shared something. I'd like to kind of just start off right there. What is it that happens at 10.02 every day? 
So at 10.02 a.m. and p.m., we as a team leading our ministry and most of our core students have our alarms go off. And so at 10.02 a.m., 10.02 p.m., when our alarms go off, it reminds us to stop and pray Luke 10.2, where Jesus, just before sending his disciples out in pairs into the harvest, he tells them to pray earnestly to the Father that he would raise up laborers for his harvest. And so we know with as much work as there is to do in our field, we are desperate for God to give us more laborers to get out there with us. And so as we pray this every day, we see God answer this through students that he's even brought us this year. So we just pause. It doesn't take very long. We just take a couple of minutes, and we'll just ask God to, to raise up his people. It's his harvest. They're his workers, and it's his mission. And so it's his good pleasure to answer that. And it reminds us that we can't do it ourselves. Wow, that's good. And I appreciate your perspective and the way that you were sharing that, that it's it's his harvest, it's his workers. I, I just so appreciate that because it seems like so often it's really easy to approach a ministry or something that we're doing as though it's ours. It rests on our shoulders, it rests on our labor, but it doesn't, it rests on his. So thanks for sharing that. I do want to circle back because I mentioned at the beginning that your vision is to see no place left. And for some of our listeners, this is going to be old hat. They're going to know exactly what we're talking about, but a few of you might not. So Mike, would you share with us a little bit about what you mean when you say no place left? Yeah, absolutely. So this is just a a biblical vision for disciple making. Jesus's first words to his disciples really were, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And last words in the gospel of Matthew and really just about in all the Gospels are some form of go and make disciples and, and make them of all nations. But we see that really kind of fleshed out by Paul. In Romans 15, there's this, there's this neat little interchange where he's speaking to, through this letter that he's writing to the Roman church. He's on his way to visit them, and, and he's telling them, look, there's, there's no place left for me to work because everyone has heard of Jesus and has had the opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. And so I'm on my way to new pioneer territory where Jesus has not been named. And in Acts 19:10, right there in that kind of Acts 19, I guess 1 through 10, really, we see this really neat model of Paul being in Asia. And for two years, he is in the synagogues and is preaching in the marketplaces, making disciples and trying to multiply them. And over the span of two years, it says that everyone heard about Jesus, both Jew and Greek. So there's this this biblical vision that we can see no place left, that it happens in, in communities throughout the world where everyone has the opportunity to hear and respond to Jesus. And so that's our, that's our mission and our vision is, is we want to see that in our, our primary field where we're working on our, our college campus and the surrounding ones. But then we're also trying to instill that in our students so that as they graduate and they enter the world outside of the college world, they're going with that vision and the training to be able to engage it and and accomplish that vision so that one day we'll hear trumpets in the air as Jesus comes back and everyone's had a chance to, to hear and respond to him. You know, as I think about that that vision, the no place left vision, on the one hand, that's really inspiring. But on the other hand, that could really seem like it's sometimes disheartening when things don't seem like they're going that direction. How has God allowed you to continue walking when things seem to be standing against you? We remind ourselves of kingdom principles as much as we can. Now, we have, we have some really great friends who are much farther and deeper into this style and vision for ministry, and it really kind of helped point us in the right direction, who have been able to tell us both challenge stories and success stories, and sometimes those are one and the same, <laughs> so that we can, re- we can really relate to, you know, there, there is a good ending to this story, even if it doesn't feel like it now. And then we always try to go back to the kingdom principles where we see Jesus explaining to his disciples how the kingdom works in parables and stories and 
little teachings. And so when we go out and, and we're sharing the gospel, you know, in, in teams one day and no one is responding in any sort of positive way, everyone's rejecting us just over and over and over again. We have days like that. We call those red light days. And on red light days, when everybody's what we call a red light, you know, not interested at all in the gospel and putting the brakes on, we remind ourselves, well, even then in, in Luke 10, Jesus is, is telling his disciples, when people reject you, dust, the, dust your feet off, you know, and, and proclaim to them, nevertheless, the kingdom of God has come near. And so we know that we're successful when we're obedient, not when we have some sort of wild response. Because some days are red light days and other days are much more exciting and, and, you know, maybe even fulfilling in the moment. So we have to be careful not to let any one day or week set the tone too much for us because ultimately it's about obeying Jesus. It's not about, you know, how many people we can, we can find who are ready to give their lives to the Lord right then or how many people are what we call yellow lights and, and, you know, want to follow up. So we have to try to keep it in perspective, but it's the, it's the stories from, from other fields that have really helped us as well. That, that's good. And, you know, as you're sharing this, my, my mind is full of ideas. There are like three different directions I want to go right now. And I think, I think <laughs> the one that I'd like to key in on is the idea of sharing the, the challenges and also the successes. Do you have a, a story of a time where you had to walk through a significant challenge and how God saw you through that? The last probably two or even three years were really just one long challenge for me. Mm. We have, we've been serving and in this ministry leading this organization here in Northwestern North Carolina for three years now. This is our fourth school year that we've just started. When I came in, it was a it was a healthy, robust ministry, but there were a lot of things in our denomination and kind of the, just the, the, the inner workings of, of how we existed. We're really starting to have some seismic shifts. We're moving away from it being kind of the law of the land in our, our denomination circles for how campus ministry was going to be done. And so really needed somebody who both understood where it had come from, why it was where it was, and where it needed to go to come and transition it. And while I'm by no means, you know, I'm, I'm nothing special. I just, God has used me and has used this ministry in my life. So I, I knew some of the context of it, but also had some vision about where we would need to go next. It was very difficult to move our ministry from being focused on, functionally really focused on, on attendance, on kind of traditional ministry programs, and on all the kinds of things that, you know, you would expect in most cases to being deeply focused on missionary activity in sharing the gospel, making and multiplying disciples. And so we really have had to turn the corner from being a ministry to being missionaries. And that was difficult because it was, you know, it was the norm for us to invite people out to our weekly large group meeting and to get from there to no longer having a weekly large group meeting and focusing, you know, our, our main emphasis on, on being out in the harvest, sharing the gospel with people making disciples of the people who are responsive and interested, it, it was a fight. And, and we had great students and still do. We had great leaders, but they were, they were leading and attending in a system that just really was kind of past its prime. You know, our, our campus started recognizing that it was more of a, a mission field than a ministry field. And what we were doing was ministering to believers, but was not effective at all in reaching non-believers helping them come to know Christ and grow as obedient disciples of Jesus. And we had this sort of existential crisis. Why do we exist? What are we here for? You know, what are we working towards? And, you know, we went from playing the addition game, y'all come, to the subtraction game, y'all please stay. And now we finally started playing the multiplication game, y'all mm. please go. 
And so we're, we're in the very beginnings of moving forward, but it's been a while in the making to see God begin letting us move forward. We really kind of had to deconstruct some things before we could reconstruct anything in, in a healthier direction. And, and he's been, he's been faithful to us as we've, as we fought through that. And in the midst of that, we're, we're seeing him show us very clear answers to those Luke 10, two prayers that we pray every day with, with students that are just hungry to be making disciples, you know, who, who, would in fact said no to places that would put them on the sidelines, you know, just kind of watching the show. They wanted to be right out there on the front lines and, and they, it is so encouraging to see those students be, be given to us. I mean, it really is God's grace in, in that situation. Wow. That, that's, that's really cool. You, you keyed in on so much stuff right there. The, the one that really kind of stood out to me was going from please come to please don't leave to, okay, now it's time to go and multiply that. That's a huge transition. I think, I think when we get to the next section, I want to focus a little bit more in on what you mean when you say becoming missional and things like that. As we kind of tie a bow in this section, I'm wondering, is there anything that God's been showing you or teaching you over the last year or so? Absolutely. Probably a key thing that, you know, where where we are so excited about what God's doing in our ministry. And it's just really the first fruits, I believe, I had been, to get, just to be as candid as possible, mm-hmm. Ryan, I had been resistant and, and even at times unwilling to put myself out in the mission field. And I don't mean, you know, the ends of the earth, but I'm just talking about in, in the culture that God had called me to, in the yeah. place that God had called me to. I had been so resistant and even even defiant and disobedient to Jesus and, and not making disciples, just mostly out of paralyzing fear, you know, of what would happen. You know, I just don't want to be uncomfortable. I, I'm scared of what people will do if I try to talk to them about my faith. And then there's a side of just not being equipped to know how to start. And and now that moving through that, I've been, you know, just felt, you know, God's conviction for that. Also just that, you know what, God has, God has clearly called me. I'm, I'm you know, desperate to see him work in people's lives. I realized that I'd been resistant to him and, and tried to sanctify it in a lot of ways. But once I finally started saying, you know what, I'm just going to be obedient to Jesus, start sharing my faith, start one of, you know, start trying to make disciples. It has been the greatest adventure of my life, you know, and, and years in ministry, this I think is now my ninth year of ministry that I'm starting. So, man, I just look back at all the years where I've seen God work in different ways, but it was always handicapped by what I had, what I had not allowed him to do through me because of my own disobedience. When I finally said, I'm tired of playing scared. I want to get in the game and get serious. Uh, I want to obey Jesus and see what he's going to do. That's when it really got fun. That's when it really got exciting. And it really started feeling like an adventure. You know, when we, when we follow him into the mission, that's when that's, that is a game changer right there. Wow. That's, that's huge. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable. If you've, if you've been listening to what Mike shared and it's starting to speak to you, if there's an area of your life as a listener and you're going, wow, I haven't been allowing God to move in my life. I'd like to encourage you to figure out what that next step is with God and then just be willing to take that. With that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more toward the specific ministry that Mike has going on. Hey, Engaging Missions listeners, this is Jim Baker from episode 119. Thank you so much for being a faithful listener to this show. Brian has been a huge encouragement to me personally and to my podcast, Doing Ministry Well. After a long hiatus, we finally have some new episodes up, and we'd love it if you check it out over at doingministrywell.com. 
All right, we're back with Puck. We've been talking about some of the things that God's shown him and done in his life over the last couple of years. Really amazing stuff, especially the idea of walking through the transformation of going from a traditional campus ministry to being more of a missionary or a band of missionaries. Now, Mike, as you think about that, can you share with us maybe a little bit more of what you mean when you say transitioning from a traditional ministry to being more like a band of missionaries? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the the way I've started, I guess, maybe dividing between those things would be a ministry, at least in our context and for this purpose, is more programmatic, and it's more about the programs that we that we run, and it tends to be more kind of invitational or even attractional. Mm-hmm. You know, we want people to come into the things that we're hosting, and it's through that process that they'll walk through the, you know, the metaphorical front doors, you know, whether maybe even the literal front doors, come to a space at a certain time mm-hmm. to encounter God, to encounter the good news, to encounter other believers, whatever, whatever it may be that we're targeting. And, and then we move them through a series of programs and and for us to make the shift from from that style of you know ministry to being missionaries is you know if we parachuted into maybe a foreign nation or a city that is just radically far from God with very few or maybe even no evangelical churches no one you know teaching the importance of of a personal experience with Jesus and personal repentance and following Jesus obediently if we parachute in there we're not going to roll up and I don't know, have, have a mass mailer banners and rent a space and figure out what my teaching series is going to be and things like that. Now that can work in a lot of areas. So I'm not knocking that, right? That's just a different style. Mm-hmm. But in, in our case, we were realizing that style of ministry was already pretty well taken care of by some other really solid ministries on our campus. And, and that could probably be true for a lot of communities with churches as well. Instead, we realized that we were not intentionally competing, but sort of accidentally competing with other ministries for the same smaller and smaller pond of, of students who are, who are followers of Jesus. And we thought, well, why are we, why are we working so hard to try to convince Christians to come to us instead of some other group? Clearly they're in a good group somewhere. No one's really fighting directly for those people who are far from God. Mm. And so to do that, we had to kind of do away with programs because there just aren't programs that were reaching people who are far from God. Um, we had to go do that ourselves personally. And so that's where I see the shift from ministry to, to missionary activity is we start thinking, okay, well, where are people who are far from God? Mm-hmm. How do we find them? How do we engage them? And then instead of using programs to help them move forward towards Christ, what if we have some basic processes that we use? Just some, you know, some discipling process that we use, knowing how to how to start a conversation with someone who's far from God once we find them, how to how to transition it to the gospel, what to do based on their response, you know, how do we how do we move forward, you know, when they when they give us some kind of response to the gospel. And then if they're if they're favorable, what's next? You know, that's kind of what we're thinking is what is the basic process that someone needs to know to be able to obey Jesus' great commission to make disciples of all nations. And so we try to keep it as very simple on that front as possible. And in that case, we're, we're taking our time back so that I'm not worrying about a weekly preaching session where most of our students are plugged into a local church anyways. You know, they're, they're worshiping with a body of believers on Sunday. Mm-hmm. We, can, we can train, equip them, encourage them, go out with them and model for them how to do this, with, you know, as it relates to prayer walking, encountering people, sharing the gospel, and then even following up with 
disciple-making towards Jesus, and for those who are followers of Jesus, discipling them to obey and training them to be able to do the same. So it really helps us streamline what we do, see ourselves much more clearly as people who are on mission, not just people who attend a ministry, if that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And, you know, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking, first off, kudos to you for recognizing that and for being able to follow Christ in that direction. The next question, though, that's kind of sitting in my head rests on leadership, because it takes a lot to take an existing ministry or an existing group of people and transition the entire model of what you're doing. How did you walk through that as a leader and bring people with you? Like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it, that's how it went. It it felt like the 11th hour for us because we're in a collegiate setting. Most of my students were older and were juniors and seniors at the time. Mm -hmm. We were realizing we hadn't done a good job at reaching the younger generation, you know, and and of course the generations are so much closer together in, in a college setting. Everything is amplified and it really is a faster conveyor belt when you think about that setting. So the the urgency was at red alert for sure. Half of my ministry was about to graduate and the other half was about to go coasting through senior year. Mm. And we were we were really not just concerned about the impending cliff that we were running up towards, you know, or maybe mm-hmm. knowing we had miles to go but not even a gallon in the tank so to speak. That was certainly a concern but the real problem was we were watching our students. We were celebrating them as they graduated and went off into life. They're just wonderful people doing great things for the Lord. But man, we were thinking, gosh, we're not seeing stories of people coming to know Jesus. We're not hearing stories of people sharing the gospel and we're celebrating things, but we're not always celebrating the right things or in the right sort of, you know, in the right sort of, I don't know, clustering. And so mm. we just saw that urgency And that's sort of where I I came in with the kind of bull in a china shop pivot here is we just knew, well, we don't have time to try to change things slowly. And so had we had a little more time or uh, maybe we're in a setting that was that would work better with a little bit more finesse over a longer time, um, (laughs) might have started a little slower. But really what happened is we just sort of had to say, well, we're not going to keep doing the things that we've been doing. It doesn't work. It's not working and we don't have time to burn. And thankfully, because we had good enough relationship with with most of our core students and and even the kind of mainstream student of of ours, whatever that may mean, they were plugged in with good churches too. So that the Mm -hmm. ones who weren't excited about becoming disciple makers, who were maybe a little, they weren't quite sure what that meant. They hadn't really had time to process it all that much. They had places to be where we could help them take the next step for them, whatever was right for them. And then we were really able to just walk alongside those students who were really excited to kick it up into the next gear. So it just started with realigning our vision first, asking, well, why do we exist? You know, if we're dying, what, why is it important that we continue to exist? Yeah. And, and if we said, well, we're not making disciples, then maybe it's not important that we continue to exist. But God has called us to make disciples. So instead of us just saying, we admit defeat, we can just go ahead until, uh, until the ship sinks or runs out of gas or whatever the metaphor may be. We said, no, we're, we, we, can't, we can't lose this opportunity to make disciples in such a strategic mission field. And that's where we really started pivoting. And in our particular campus setting, right about the same time that we're wrestling with that, we had about nine students uh, on our campus. It's a campus of about 18,000. We had about nine students that year, die, most of, of whom committed suicide for one reason or another. It's just really tragic. I mean, it was just 
tangible darkness and heaviness around our community Hmm. because that just doesn't happen very frequently. Even one person doesn't happen very frequently here. And it, it shook us. And there were some of our students even knew a couple of the students who who had passed away. And so it's just a really heartbreaking time. And we were realizing, yeah, it's easy for us to see college students as young and, and invincible, but, but ultimately they're just as fragile as any other human. And we have even less of a window to be able to reach. And so it just, really pushed us with more urgency to, to focus back in on making disciples and, and saying, no, we need to turn this corner. Um, and so we just gritted our teeth and kept going after it, knowing, okay, well, this is what Jesus has told us to do. You know, it's very clear that all of his disciples are meant to make disciples. So let's, let's keep going. And as we did, you know, there, of course, there were going to be people who had not bought into that vision. Mm-hmm. They had bought into whatever programs we had before. So some of them, you know, they, they decided to take off, you know, there was never, there was no ugliness or, anything like that, thank the Lord. We all have good relationships with one another, you know, at, at this point here. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But we had to go through a time of loss, you know, as we as we reevaluated who we were, why we existed, and who we were trying to be. And as we started more clearly identifying why we existed and what we were going to be doing, it made it easier for the students who had not bought into that to just kind of move on and, and find another place we could help them do that in some cases. And those students who were hungry maybe didn't even know what for, but felt a deep resonance with our vision. They, they started one by one popping up. And so now we're still a, a pretty small band of missionaries, but instead of feeling bad about ourselves for being a really small ministry that has really poorly attended programs, now we look at ourselves and go, good gosh, we are bigger than the band of disciples Jesus had with us, with him, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, that completely changed our perspective on size and what counts and what matters. And, you know, now we say every student matters, but they only count in our ministry once they've gone out into the harvest with us. And so we care about all of them, but we're really focused on not just talking about being missionaries, but training them, equipping them and seeing them go out and do it themselves. And that's a reflection of our health and reflection of our success as a, as leaders of the ministry to see, are we equipping them and are they actually going out and doing it? And if not, then it's not something wrong with them. More than likely it's something we haven't trained them well enough to do. So it's really changed. You know, we've gone from playing by the rules of say football and started playing, you know, basketball or hockey, you know, where we mm-hmm. still score points and still opposing teams and things like that. But the way you score and what counts, uh, you know, and what we, uh, what we score against and how the time runs, those kinds of things, they change so dramatically. It's like switching languages almost. You, you know, you referenced yourself as having walked through this kind of like a bull in a China shop. But what I hear as you're telling the story of how you walked alongside students and helped them find placements if they didn't feel called to what you're doing, I hear a lot of grace. It reminds me very much of a, a pastor I talked to from South Africa who led his church through a, a similar transformation. I would just like to to say that I really see a lot of God's grace in you uh, in that. So I, I really appreciate that. We've talked a lot about the challenges about walking through that. And I'm a little bit hesitant to go toward results because we live in such a success oriented society that it can sound like we're, we're talking about success, but I am, I do want to allow you the opportunity to share a little bit of what you've seen God do since you've made this shift. Absolutely. Well, and, and I'm totally with you. I was so wary of metrics and, and numbers. And, and I can tell yeah. you, I felt a sense of, I would have never said it as such because it would have said, you know, I would have been betraying an unhealthy focus and Mm -hmm. really probably not a very godly focus. 
when we had our old programs and we were attracting students doing the kind of worship service sort of thing, I was always hyper aware of how many students there were in the room on any given week. Hmm. And, and it wasn't like there was a threshold on the high end or the low end that if it wasn't a certain number or it was more than a certain number, I would feel a certain way. But there was some sort of there, there's a sort of a buffer zone that at some point, you know, I, I just I felt worse about myself if we didn't if we if it felt a certain emptiness in the room. Wow terms of people. Yeah. And if we had a big night, you know, I felt great about it, you know, and what I would have, how I would have, I don't even know how it would have qualified or quantified and celebrated mm-hmm. what we were seeing happening in our ministry would have been dependent a lot on, on how many people were coming on a weekly basis. And, and that's a, that's a fairly unhealthy perspective, right? Like we want to know uh, and steward who we have in our ministry. We want to be aware of who's coming around. And, and so that part wasn't bad. It was the it was the weight that I was putting on that and the, right. the perspective I brought. But since we've shifted, one of the things that's changed is we, we've realized we can't control how many people give their lives to Christ. We can't control how many new groups are started. We can't control churches planted or disciples multiplied. We track those and we celebrate the heck out of those things. But we cannot control those, right? And so we keep an eye on all that because those are the things that, that are super important. But what we've realized is we need to have clear goals and, and clear metrics for the things that we can control. And things that we can control are how many people we encounter, how many people we share the gospel with. We can, we can control how many people we train. And, 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 you know, of course, we can only control that to a certain degree. So, you know, don't, don't hear me saying, you know, we can we can do anything we want to, but we can certainly exert some control over whether or not we open our mouths and share the gospel. Right. Right. And so as, as we went, I can, I can maybe pose it in a, in, in kind of a parallel way. Two years ago, we set a goal for our ministry that we wanted to share the gospel with a hundred students in the school year. And, and now we had not been known for doing that and had not been a part of our practice. So that was a fairly radical thing to throw out. Wow. Uh, this was two years ago. This is back when I was still feeling pretty resistant to uh, sharing the gospel at all, let alone regularly. And so it may not be a surprise to say then that over that school year, we only shared the gospel maybe three times as a team or as a, as a whole ministry. Wow. And, and we were three, three times the size that we are now. We didn't keep track of it. I didn't really think too much about it from week to week because I was under too much conviction that I wasn't contributing. You know, I wasn't obeying Jesus in that. And this year, you know, we've really finally fully turned the corner and are starting to move the right direction. And, and at this point, where we had tried for the whole year to share the gospel a hundred times with people, just knowing that was something we could control. We're halfway through one semester, you know, we're, we're a quarter of the way through school for the, the calendar year, and we're almost to 200 people hearing the gospel through our ministry that's a third the size that it was two years ago. And so say that to say, man, so many of our students are taking ownership of sharing the gospel. And, and I don't think they would have done that unless they had seen me take ownership of it too, to just step up and say, you know what, I'm going to do this in my weakness because it's a Lordship issue, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it's a, a thing that I just need to obey Jesus. Even if I don't feel like I want to, that doesn't really matter. And God's been super grateful in that. And so it is amazing that as we are tracking, particularly we're tracking things like how many people we encounter, how many times we get to share the gospel, and how many people we can train in some basic disciple-making principles and processes, 
it's helping us focus on the right things, keep moving forward in the right direction. And where we hadn't seen a single person come to know Christ in the last five years, in, in a quarter of a school year, we've already seen five people decide to follow Jesus. Wow. And so it has just completely filled us with joy and excitement. Like we're just, we're always celebrating something each week. And, and more often than not, it's, it's the students who are the ones seeing this stuff happen. We've talked as a team as, you know, people, we're all in our kind of lower and mid thirties and all of our students are 18 to 20 years old. Basically, they're all really young this year. Hmm. We just keep feeling like as we go out on campus, engage people with the gospel, we, we share the gospel with them, try to follow up. We have a couple of people we're meeting with on a regular basis for follow up. We started wondering, you know, we can never know this, but we're, we're just going to be faithful to God in this. What if we keep getting resistance no matter what? We just keep sharing the gospel. We keep getting red lights. People who just aren't that interested. Mm-hmm. But our students are seeing us do it faithfully. And they're the ones who are starting to see all the people respond much more quickly and readily wow. than we are. Yeah. So would we be okay with just sharing the gospel with a bunch of uninterested people day in and day out, week in and week out, year in, year out, while seeing our students connect with the ones who are responsive. And I said, yes and amen. I mean, I would love to lead somebody to Christ out on campus. I'd love to see that happen. I'd I'd love to see that happen over and over and over again. But honestly, I'd rather just keep sharing the gospel and see all my students have the opportunity to lead people to Christ. And, And that's really what's been happening this year. So God's been really faithful in that. And as we've just focused ourselves with aligning with how the kingdom works and aligning ourselves with Jesus to start with obedience first. And that has just really been a game changer for us and, and helps us spend the right time with the right people doing the right things. Wow, that's really good. With that, we are going to need to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward the listeners. If you are enjoying the Engaging Missions show, you should also check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland of FX Missions. You can find that at fxmissions.com. All right, we're back with Puck. He's been sharing a lot of stuff about the ministry. The the thing that actually stood out to me as he was sharing in that last section was the idea that he's okay with getting a whole bunch of red lights if his students are getting green lights and are being able to lead people to Christ. I just really appreciate his heart in that. Now we're going to shift our focus, though, more toward you as the listener. So, Mike, as you think about the the typical listener of this show, it's usually somebody who's called into the marketplace, either bivocational or maybe they minister in the marketplace based on their job or something like that. But sometimes in that position, it can start to feel like what you do doesn't really matter in the kingdom. What would you share with someone in that situation? Man, I would say to those folks, you are the front lines and you're the ones who are going to turn the world upside down. We who are fully like, you know, our full-time job is devoted to, to this sort of work is it's a great opportunity for us to do that. I mean, it's, I'm really thankful for that freedom and flexibility but it can also create a lot of a, a lot of barriers sometimes, you know, that there's this sort of professional status that comes with, you know, I'm I'm sharing because it's what I do. I've wondered if that's the case with why we uh why we keep getting red lights as the team leading our mm-hmm. ministry. It's because we're older and it's our job, as opposed to the students who are just like the people they're talking to, you know, and, and they have that commonality between them. Do not underestimate your strategic position as someone right in the ranks with other people who are far from God, because that's who most of the world is. And for that world to be reached, probably going to have to come from the inside, not the outside. And so just as I'm trying to train and equip my students, 
it really is, those are the people who are going to be able to pull off this mission, you know, with, with God's grace, they're going to be the ones to do it on campus, not me. And so the people who are, are professionals in the marketplace, as opposed to in the religious space, and you guys are the ones that are going to be able to affect the most change in your workplaces, in your coworkers and neighbors' lives. So do not underestimate what God can do in you and through you and, and how much he wants to use you with the, with the area that he's called you to serve in as a, you know, not a vocational missionary type. So in, in a similar vein, then, what would you share with somebody who's beginning to realize that more and more of their neighbors, their coworkers, the people that they see at the grocery store are from perhaps another world religion or perhaps a place where we consider missionary territory? We used to think of missionary territory, rightly so, as the, the places where everyone spoke a different language and no mm-hmm. one had ever heard of Jesus. And you had to pack up a steamer trunk on a ship <laughs> and it took months to get yeah. to the place. And you you basically had no connection with anyone from home until you either shipped back, retired, or until you reunited with them in heaven. And, and where that is no longer the case, not only can we Skype around the world in, in a moment, but God is bringing people from all over the nations to us here in this community. And this is the case in lots of countries and lots of major cities and, and areas. But when you start having people from from nations that you would have a hard time even getting into for business, let mm-hmm. alone for, for ministry and mission, God is sovereignly bringing those people to our communities where I'm in just a, a couple of hours from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I know in, in Charlotte, there are peoples from all over South Asia and, and, and all over Central Asia and East Asia that are just settled in our city down here, you know, and I can drive in two hours from my little mountain town down to the city that I grew up in and find people that I would have never known existed, would never have been able to connect with. And they're right there. And some of them may even be working in your your company. They may be right across the street from you. And certainly there's a there's a distance culturally between you two, but now there's not the same geographic distance that we used to have. And and I can't help but believe that God has done that for a reason, not just to make the world a more diverse place in all of our cities, but that the nations might hear the gospel and you might not have to buy a plane ticket in order to share. You can be a cross-cultural missionary just by crossing a cul-de-sac or just by crossing the street. Wow, that's good. And I totally agree with you. Is there maybe a, a resource or a book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? Oh, sure. One that has been really helpful for me I'm I'm a reader, a learner. I love all sorts of information. I'm just a nerd at heart, right? And and so I could list a bunch of books, but the one that has been the most helpful to me is is one called Four Fields of Kingdom Growth hmm. by Nathan and Carrie Shank. You can get that for free as a PDF. It's not copywritten. It's not something you'd buy on Amazon. And you can just search the number four and fields, and I, I think you'll be able to find it right away. It, it is profound in applying basic structures that work along the lines of, of uh, kingdom principles to help us know how did, how did Jesus go about making disciples? What did he teach about how the kingdom works? How do we see this playing out in Paul's life in ministry and how do we apply it? So you can use it as a study guide with a group of people who are interested and excited about making disciples. You can use it for your own personal time to grow in deeper understanding of the scriptures. And you could use it as a as an actual book to read. So it is just a really, really awesome material. And in fact, we we went ahead and just printed it off, turned it into a book. You know, it's just that electronic PDF that you can download. You can look at it on your computer or on an iPad. 
you print it on copier paper or have staples print it and bind it for you, which is what we did. And it has been the single most helpful ministry book in helping us decide, okay, we want to make disciples. What's the best, simplest, most reproducible and biblical model for making disciples out there? And, and I have not found anything better than that. Wow, that's good stuff. And for those of you who are listening, we will make sure that we have this linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash Mike Puckett. Now, Mike, we're just about done. Do you have maybe one last piece of advice and a way for people to connect with you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd encourage you to start praying the Luke 10-2 prayer every day. It will uh, help you see the, the place that God has called you to as a mission field and not just as the place you call home or the place you call work. Mm. And as you, as you begin praying that, God had his, or Jesus had his disciples, uh, he, he told them to pray that. And then the very next breath, he said, now go, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. And so there was this expectation that they were both dependent on Jesus that the father would raise up laborers for his harvest to do the work that they weren't able to accomplish all by themselves. And also that they were called to engage in it. So as you, as you pray for laborers, I'd also encourage you think of one or two people that, that God may be bringing to mind even now who are family members, who are, are friends, who are coworkers or neighbors and, and are far from God and need to hear about the good news of Jesus and start that conversation with them. It's not as hard as you may think it is. And it's certainly not as, as scary as you may think it is. So, so that would be my encouragement to you. I would love to hear from you. If you, if you want to share what God is doing, please send me an email or find me on Twitter. I would love to love to connect with you. I can make those addresses or, or uh, whatnot available to you as well. So, so feel free to reach out to me and, and help you think through some of the the resources we're using, how we're appropriating those things. And yeah, it'd just be, it's a joy to equip people, whether they work in a college environment or not. Yeah, absolutely. And any contact information you send to me, I'll be glad to put that in the show notes so that anybody can connect with you however you'd like for them to connect. Mike, thanks so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time. Oh man, it's so great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks to Mike Puckett for being with us and to you also for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Mike Puckett. That's how you can connect with our guest and also find links to valuable resources. Make sure you come back next week when we'll have a special Christmas edition of the Engaging Missions show featuring several guests. Also, visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure you don't miss episodes like this one. And if you found this valuable, please help us spread the word. You might be the person God uses to create a connection, deepen a relationship, or provide valuable resources as you sow into His kingdom. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.